For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles. I'm your host, Nat Cardona. On the last episode, we discussed the climate leading into the 1968 Orangeburg Massacre in Orangeburg, South Carolina. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen. There's a link in the show notes to help make it easier for you to find. In this week's episode, I'm again joined by Dr. William Hine. He's a former history professor at South Carolina State University. We discuss in detail how the peaceful protest by students was met with violence from law enforcement. We also go into who was or wasn't held responsible for the deaths of three students and the wounding of more than 20 others. And with that, let's get to it. So you have this pressure cooker of tensions for the handful of years, nights before the actual event happens. What's the tipping point? What's the the other shoe that dropped to turn from, you know, a lot of tension to violence? What was, what was the thing that happened that night? That's... That's that's it. There is nothing. I mean, they were there. They confronted each other and went back and forth for time. As I mentioned, there was a bonfire that was was put out. Uh, people continued to throw things. At one point, an officer of the of the highway patrol, a man named Sheely, got. Uh, it looked like he'd been shot, almost literally between the eyes. Uh, he went down. Uh, at least uh, semi-conscious for a period of time, uh, bleeding profusely, uh, and it appeared as if he had uh, been uh, been shot from uh, the direction of the students. Uh, as it turned out, he had not been shot. He'd been hit with a heavy piece of timber. Uh, it had opened a wound on his forehead. Uh, they took him uh, off off to the hospital, and at least another 10 minutes or more elapsed after uh, Sheely was hit with the with the timber. A lot of people were at the time and since under the mistaken impression, well, Sheely got hit and then the highway patrolman opened fire. It didn't happen. It did not happen that way. Uh, they opened fire with no announcement uh, that they were going to fire. Nobody uh, said lock and load or uh, you have uh, one minute or uh, 180 seconds to retreat or we're going to open fire. Uh, it was unannounced. They just simply started uh, shooting. Not all the highway patrolmen uh, shot. There were 66 of them aligned along the embankment and kind of curled around at right angles toward an unoccupied house next, next door to the campus uh, there. Some opened fire, some did not. Most of the students were hit in the back as they turned to run uh, from uh, uh, the shotgun blasts, uh, and uh, uh, mo more than 30 were were hit, and three uh, were killed, and at least 28 were uh, injured. Some superficially, some very seriously. There, uh, there was there was no uh, ready aim fire. Uh, it, it was just a 
a spontaneous uh, opening of a fire. The uh, later it was it was determined that apparently one of the highway patrol officers had fired a warning shot into the air with his sidearm, and others, not realizing that, uh, opened fire, hearing a a weapon go off. Uh, that's been about the best determination of how uh, the highway patrolman came to open fire that uh, night of roughly 10.30, 10.45 on February 8th. Okay. So you have a bunch of these young people wounded. Uh, three young men ultimately are massacred or killed. Um, can you talk a little bit about those three young men, if you don't mind? Well, uh, two of them were college students. Uh, one was a high school student. Uh, and uh, uh, they were there as much out of uh, curiosity as a determination that they're going to uh, be involved uh, in protests. Henry Smith was probably the most active of the students. He wanted to be there. He did consider himself an activist. Uh, he was upset with conditions uh, in the community and on the campus. Uh, and uh, there's no question uh, of his uh, involvement, his determination to be a part uh, of this. Uh, the other college student was a freshman football player named Samuel Hammond from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, he was there out of interest and curiosity. He was there with several other football players and athletes as well. He was uh, uh, shot and uh, died uh, shortly uh, after that. Then uh, there was Delano Middleton, who was the high school student. His mother worked on the campus, and he kind of came up uh, to see what was happening on the front uh, of the campus, and he was uh, hit and fatally injured uh, as well uh, that night. Uh, he was he was local. He was from the Orangeburg area. Henry Smith uh, was from Marion, uh, probably 100 miles. He came from a poor uh, family uh, over there. And as I mentioned, uh, Samuel Hammond was uh, an athlete from uh, Fort Lauderdale, although his uh, parents, his father was from uh, uh, down the road from Orangeburg and Bamberg, uh, South Carolina. And so they, they had connections and roots to uh, the local area as well. Okay. Unfortunately, they're killed and other people are wounded and then what like what is the what is that rest of the night like what happens pretty much immediately after well it was chaos initially on the campus i mean there was fear one that this was just a prelude to an invasion by uh law enforcement they were going to head head on and through the campus and maybe continue shooting or occupy the campus. No one knew what was going on. There was an uh, absence of communication of any time. Uh, they were uh, taking wounded students out the back uh, side of the campus uh, and uh, t going to the, to the uh, hospital uh, by a back uh, route. Uh, the college infirmary was filled with bleeding students 
was great fear, anger, uh, trepidation about what what what's what's next uh, here, uh, and it took a number of hours uh, for this to settle down. In the meantime, uh, the the accounts that went out uh, through the media uh, were uh, well incomplete uh, and uh, false, as it turned out as well. The Associated Press AP sent out an account that there'd been an exchange of gunfire on uh, the campus uh, with students shooting at highway patrolmen and patrolmen shooting back. For the, and that uh, was absolutely incorrect. And it was, it was never uh, corrected by AP either. So uh, the headlines, such as they were, that appeared the next day was that there'd been an exchange of gunfire. Uh, and the governor and the local authorities were pretty well convinced uh, that uh, they'd saved Orangeburg from some kind of massive black nationalist uprising. And as regrettable as it was that students got shot, uh, that this was uh, uh, necessary uh, to protect uh, the community, protect the lives and property of people uh, in Orangeburg. And the governor maintained that and continued to maintain that uh, as uh, days and weeks and then months and even years went by. Uh, after that, he uh, was convinced that he'd acted uh, properly and that uh, he had helped uh, to preserve uh, security, uh, preserve uh, what uh, threatened to become a much worse uh, situation from uh, exploding into that. And that is to a large extent, uh, the, the conventional story uh, that was heard in the aftermath of uh, the massacre, except for the black press uh, that did cover it, the black newspapers uh, at the time, the Baltimore Afro-American, the Pittsburgh Courier, and the Chicago Defender, Jet Magazine. I mean, they covered it, but as far as uh, most people in the black community were concerned, those were just cold-blooded murder by armed highway patrolmen, all white, who shot into a crowd of uh, black young men protesting on their own campus, unarmed at the time. So there are two versions that prevailed uh, for uh, many uh, days, weeks, and months, even years to the present day, uh, about what actually happened uh, that night uh, in 1968. Sure. We need to take a quick break, so don't go too far. Just so listeners understand, there were, out of the 70 or so patrolmen, nine were charged with shooting at protesters, but ultimately none were convicted of anything. Totally just wiped clean. No one held accountable for the murders or the shootings, anything, correct? Uh, that is correct. The uh, U.S. Department of Justice uh, tried to uh, indict the nine highway patrolmen who did admit shooting into the uh, crowd of students. Uh, a, a federal grand jury in Colombia in the fall of 1968 refused uh, to uh, indict them on felony uh, charges. Uh, and the Department of Justice then indicted them on misdemeanor charges, uh, criminal information. And they went on trial the following spring of six, 1969 in federal court in Florence, South Carolina. Uh, and a jury of 10 white people and two black people uh, found them uh, not guilty 
uh, that they had felt their lives were in danger and therefore they were justified in shooting into this crowd of students, even if the students weren't uh, armed with uh, weapons. And so the nine highway patrolmen uh, were indeed acquitted. And then a year after that, uh, Cleveland Sellers uh, was brought to the Bar of Justice in Orangeburg, uh, and he was charged well, with an assortment of, of charges, including inciting a riot uh, there. Uh, as it turned out, uh, most of the charges were abandoned, uh, and he was finally con convicted, uh, not for what happened on the night of February 8th, but on the night of February uh, 6th at the bowling alley of inciting the crowd uh, down there. Uh, and he was sentenced to a year in uh, state prison in the Broad River Federal uh, Broad River State Correctional Institution. He served nine months. Uh, he was released early on. Uh, good behavior. So he's the only one uh, who was uh, penalized uh, for uh, the events surrounding uh, the Orangeburg massacre in 1968. And I should point out that he was one of the people shot and wounded. Uh, that night uh, as well. He was uh, hit uh, in the upper arm by shotgun pellets uh, there. So uh, he had to face the indignity of going to jail and being uh, shot as well. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really hoping to still hear back from him to hear just his retelling of everything that happened. But thanks for laying that all out. So yeah, ultimately, he's the only one who's punished for anything that had happened that night and at the end of the day uh no justice was served for the three young men that were killed and you know here we are today it's going on what 50, we're 55 56 years later um like how how did we get here to where this major event uh that actually was so integral to the civil rights movement um and so violent on top of it uh, how did we get to the point where this is just a blip on the radar in history, especially in terms with this? Do you have any input on that? Well, the circumstances under which it happened in, in 1968 it was not well covered at that time. Uh, 1968 was a very tumultuous uh, year in American history. Uh, at the time of the uh, of the massacre in early February, the uh, Tet Offensive was breaking out in Vietnam. The Vietnam War absorbed the attention of many, many Americans and uh, the media. Uh, shortly before that, in, in January, at a, an American naval vessel, the Pueblo had been captured by North Korea and its crew taken hostage. Uh, and then uh, only uh, weeks after uh, the massacre, the sitting president Lyndon Johnson announced uh, that he would not be running for uh, re-election in 1968. And days after that, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and then a couple of months after that, Robert Kennedy uh, was shot uh, after the Democratic primary in California, shot in uh, Los Angeles, and he died a day or so uh, later, and the uh, the massacre got uh, lost uh, in this series of events. Add to that, it happens in a small rural town in South Carolina, and then 
uh, most importantly, uh, it was a group of black students and it simply did not uh, draw the attention or the coverage of uh, most people, especially most white people. It did, as I mentioned, draw the coverage of the black press uh, and uh, black students at other HBCUs, other historically black colleges, universities, North Carolina, A&T, and uh, Morehouse, and Howard, and uh, Washington. Uh, but uh, it was largely overlooked. There was no story in Time magazine. There was a short story in Newsweek at the time. The uh, media, uh, in terms of uh, television, uh, gave it uh, very, very little attention and what little attention it did give it disappeared uh, very quickly. So most people never even heard of it. It didn't get into uh, most of the history books. And two years later, when the shootings occurred at, at Kent State, it just exploded uh, across uh, uh, the front pages of newspapers and on all of the uh, major networks, CBS and NBC and uh, ABC at that time. Uh, and so uh, virtually everyone uh, in the aftermath of Kent State knew about uh, the shootings of the four uh, students at Kent who were all white, uh, and uh, hardly anyone had heard of the students uh, who had been shot at South Carolina State who were black. Which, thank you for bringing that up. Because uh, with your affiliation with the college, from my understanding, student organizations have done a pretty good job of uh, remembering what had happened there. Um, I understand that there are there statues of the three young men on campus, or is that just yes, in a, No, that's an on campus. Okay. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a memorial plaza uh, there the year after. Uh, the massacre in 1969, a, a small granite marker uh, was uh, placed uh, there with the names of the three uh, young men. Uh, and then uh, 30 plus years after that, uh, there were bronze tablets established around that granite marker with the names of the uh, 28 young men who were uh, wounded uh, there. And then uh, three years ago or so, a a brick uh, monument uh, was uh, created, built there. And then uh, two years ago, there were busts of the three young men placed within that brick uh, and lighted uh, monument, uh, the busts of Henry Smith and Delano Middleton and Samuel Hammond uh, are there. So there is a, a monument on campus that has expanded uh, over the years. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you for clarifying all of that. Um, one of the last things here is, you know, we can't we can't change the past and how it was covered and portrayed and how no justice was done and all of that. Um, but what would your, you know, the takeaway you would hope for listeners to get out of this or for people to learn from this? Do you have anything? that you'd like to kind of part with? Well, you would hope that people would learn that you don't have law enforcement shoot into a crowd of unarmed people. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, they did it and did it again and then shot into a crowd of uh, protesting white students at Kent State 
in May of 1970. And unfortunately, uh, too often, uh, law enforcement officers have taken it upon themselves uh, to uh, not only enforce the law, but uh, apparently act as a, a jury uh, and uh, convict and uh, punish uh, those uh, who they see uh, protesting, demonstrating, uh, breaking the law uh, in front of them. Uh, so that's uh, uh, one lesson that has regrettably uh, not been uh, learned uh, very much, uh, if at all, uh, in the years and decades since then. The other uh, regret, in, as far as I'm concerned, and many other people who were involved with the massacre and those who survived it, uh, is that the, there was never any formal investigation of what happened and why it happened. There was a presidential commission formed after the Kent State killings uh, on campus violence. Richard Nixon appointed uh, the former governor of Pennsylvania, William Scranton, and uh, they did a, a thorough investigation of what happened at Kent State, what happened at Jackson State. They pretty much ignored uh, Orangeburg uh, to try to get at uh, the problems uh, that led to the shootings at Jackson State and Kent State in May of 1970. Uh, there have been other state investigations of, of uh, uh, racially involved incidents everywhere from Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1923 to Rosewood, Florida in 1920 uh, to more recent developments, but there was never a state or federal investigation of what happened uh, in Orangeburg, an effort to try to uh, get into uh, the underlying factors that contributed to this to try to bring uh, some increased clarity. I don't know that would bring closure uh, to this, uh, it might, it might help. It might assist in that, uh, but but it has never happened. And uh, it, in terms of the foreseeable future, it doesn't look like it is going to happen. But in and theory, that it, um, but in theory, it could still happen. That would be the oh, hope certainly. ultimately. Okay, yeah, like it's I, never I, too late. People have suggested. No, it's not. I mean, that, they investigated Tulsa almost 100 years after it happened, and Rosewood uh, uh, as well. Uh, Tulsa was 1921, and Rosewood was 1923. And the state of Florida and the state of Oklahoma uh, did investigate those. They appointed people. They set aside relatively small amounts of money uh, on this and then uh, tried to undertake a thorough examination of events that have occurred many decades before. Now we're more than a half century since Orangeburg. Uh, there's still no investigation, uh, and there seems to be little inclination on the part of uh, political leaders to undertake such an investigation, even though it would be of, of modest uh, cost. The uh, attitude seems to be, well, don't, we don't need to bring that up uh, again. Uh, don't, uh, don't let us... Uh, uh, pick the scab on that wound uh, again. Let's uh, just let it let it go. We can move on, and uh, we'll live in a better, happier future uh, without uh, digging into the past and stirring up the animosity uh, and hard feelings once again. So we don't need no. We don't need an investigation uh, like that. 
uh, and quit harping on it and quit suggesting that we do. And in fact, it's about time you stopped having those uh, ceremonies each February 8th to commemorate uh, this that only inflames people in the community and people get upset with this and we'd rather not it happened. I, I should say that uh, uh, helping with that has been the local newspaper, the, the Times and Democrat. They have uh, done a lot in uh, recent years uh, to try to bring about some some uh, uh, healing and some efforts to uh, recognize what happened in the community as a uh, serious, serious uh, tragedy and the loss of life and the injuries uh, that occurred. And they've tried to bring people together in terms of healing with uh, efforts to, uh, to, to bring community leaders uh, together to agree at least not to be uh, so emotionally invested uh, in this that they that they have a hard time uh, even speaking with uh, each other. So the Times and Democrat and Kathy Hughes and Lee Lee Harder have uh, have helped a lot there. Is there anything that you would like to add before we part our ways? No, I would I would re repeat the uh, what I've almost repeated over the years ad nauseum uh, now about the the need for. Uh, an investigation. Uh, we're losing people. We in, in the past year, two of the young men who were wounded in 1968 have have died uh, since the fall of night of 2022, uh, and uh, and that's regrettable. Uh, but as the uh, cliche goes, better late than never. So I would uh, repeat a call for an investigation that won't answer all the questions, it won't satisfy everyone, uh, but I think it will uh, help uh, bring about an understanding of one of the most traumatic events that occurred in South Carolina uh, in uh, the 20th uh, century. Uh, so on that note, I would would close. And that's a great note to close on. I, I really appreciate your time. This was honestly way more information than I actually expected. Um, so huge. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that's where we'll end the show for today. If you're interested in more details of how the victims of the massacre are being memorialized, please check out the articles linked in our show notes. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss what's coming next from Crime Beat Chronicles. Thanks for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.